should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. This is Chris Fetters of Dogman.com, and I'm here once again with Scott Eklund. We're back in Seattle, and we've got Kim Grinnells once again with us. I think this is, what, day five now in the Big Easy for you, Kim? No idea. <laughs> so let's see. You got there You got there the 26th, the morning of the 26th. Yeah, I got in. 26th, 27th, 28th, 29th, 30th. So day five. Yeah, day yeah. five of the Big Easy. It's just it's just one long day, Chris. It's just and, one long day. <laughs> and the funny and the funny part about it is is that you know one day you get to talk to Texas's offense and Washington's defense, and then the other day it's Washington's defense and Texas's offense. But then now today, Saturday, you got to talk to everybody. So how was that? Well, first of all, in the morning it was kind of comical because it was uh, availability for the um, the Texas players were there, and you know, and I've said previously, if you've heard the other podcast, the um, the media doesn't have access to the coaches or the players during the season. They get um, the defensive coordinator before the season once. I think they get the offensive coordinator once. They don't get any players. They get players briefly after the games. So this was a chance for the um, the Texas media for the first time to talk to a lot of these players in a long time. And it didn't take long to start laughing because there was one big gaggle off to the side. They didn't have him on a podium. They didn't have him at a desk. They just had him in with all the other guys. And uh, who do you think that big gaggle was around? Well, it was well, it was Arch Manning, but I mean, I think you showed a picture of it. Oh, uh, yeah. You took a picture of it, and it looked like he was just sitting in a chair on the field, surrounded by about fifty people. Yeah, no, everybody was there, and all the other Texas players were just kind of sitting off to the side and kind of laughing at him because even during his recruiting process. He didn't talk to many people when he was being recruited. He was kind of one of those, Scott, you know, just a non-participant in the process. But, uh, yeah, it was kind of comical looking over to uh, see what was going on with Arch. I didn't talk to him. You know, I'm not going to go get into that uh, circus that was over there. But it was pretty comical. But I did get the chance to talk to Jeff Choate and uh, Pete Kwiatkowski as well, which was really good. Yeah, before before we get into that, and not to drop too many pop culture references, but it it certainly got the feel of the Texas media surrounding Arch Manning and just peppering him with questions like that first Ted Lasso press conference, where he's like he's like, yeah, in a couple days I'll be ready to talk to me, and they're like, no, 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 you get to talk to him right now, and he's like, what? And so it's like, you know, just one of those things where you just you're completely not ready for any of it. And then the avalanche just comes. And I I can only imagine what that press conference was like. Yeah, he was surrounded and he was actually sitting um, on a bench. You know, it was kind of funny sitting on the bench and they had um, 
they had risers set up for their key players and nobody was at their, those players. And then they had other tables for a lot of the other starters. But, uh, you know, Arch was just trying to blend in because they put all the other players together kind of in a bench area, all just hanging out, cracking jokes and everything. And all of a sudden they just swarmed on Arch and the other players were all just cracking up. What yeah. I don't I guess I don't get why why he would just he's not even playing. I mean, he—he's—he's he's a Manning, you know, and he's got two relatives that are Hall of Fame people. Is—is is, you know, uh, his is, dad didn't do anything. He was a number one rated quarterback in the country coming his out, dad, and, no, and nobody has talked to him. So, yeah, first but, chance, okay, first chance to talk to him. I mean, if he was here, it would be the same thing. If he was in L.A., it would be the same thing. It's just number one quarterback in the country, and with the Manning last game, and nobody's talked to him. So. Uh, you knew it was going to happen. You knew it was going to happen. Well, that's the problem too, Scott, is that if you don't talk to him, if he actually has something to say, then you're going to really kick yourself for not wanting to talk to him. So, all right. The only only way we'll know is if we see the stories coming out and when we see the stories coming out and they all look the same and they all look like word salad, then you'll know it was a, it was a huge waste of time, right? Yeah. Well, Texas players are masterful at word salad without the dressing. <laughs> so. there you go. Well, let's go back to your conversations with Coach K and Coach Choate. Um, clearly, as Washington fans should remember, both of those coaches at Texas now, but they both have a legacy of, of coaching at Washington under Chris Peterson. Choate was there for the first couple of years. PK stayed a little bit later. But how, how were those interactions? Because I know those guys, at least when they were at Washington, they were great to talk to. Well, yeah, it was fun to co- talk to uh, Coach Choate and just a little bit of a tidbit. Uh, sounds like I asked him about coaching staff, if he's going to hire anybody we know. And um, he said he's probably going to bring Tevis Bartlett in um, in uh, on his staff in some capacity. And then we all know Joey Thomas. Joey Thomas is going to be on his staff, and I'm sure that's for the recruiting aspect. But, you know, just talking to him and, you know, just how I asked him, which was really important to me when you first got the contact, who called you? Was it uh, Coach um, Coach K or was it Sark? And he goes, no, it was Sark. And we talked to Sark a little bit and asking him about, you know, bringing in coaches that um, have the lineage of uh, these good coaching trees like Nick Saban, like Pete Carroll. And now Coach Pete's developing quite the, the um coaching tree. So, you know, Sark talked about how important that is. And when Jeff Choate was here, I think he was making 350, Chris, and then he went to Montana State and he was probably making 150 to 180, somewhere in there. So we took a pay cut. So I just kind of joked with him a little bit. I'm I'm sure PK got you a raise and he kind of laughed and said, yeah, but he'll be going to Nevada as soon as this game is over. And it's kind of a tough spot being named the head coach and not being there. But, you know, hey, they're on a championship run. So, um, it was good to talk to um, Jeff Choten. One other tidbit, I was talking to him about um, Sweat, and I asked him, you know, just how big he was. And he said Vita Vea was bigger. He told me that Vita Vea played at Washington at 380 pounds. Well, when he started, yes. Yeah. By the time he was, by the time his career was over, at when, when Jeff Choate was there, he was 380. Yeah. But by the time he left, he had no belly whatsoever. 
the other interesting thing was he was talking about Danny Shelton, how and how Vita got to tutor, you know, tutor a little bit under Danny Shelton. And he said Danny didn't take care of his body like Vita did towards the end. But he said Danny was just so smart. So, you know, getting the tutoring from Danny and then taking care of his body, he said that's what turned him into a beast. Yeah. No, I just I'm kind of curious in general, Kim, just your overall thoughts, having seen both media sessions and just kind of seeing both teams on the hoof, you know, just like, do you get the sense? Because everyone looks at the recruiting rankings. They look at the fact that, you know, everyone expects Texas to be, a, you know, because they're a, a recruiting blue blood, so to speak, that they would just naturally be bigger, stronger, faster, what have you. Uh, getting off the bus, they would just look more imposing, more impressive. Did you get that sense seeing them compared to what Washington looks like? They've definitely got some big dudes and they've got more big dudes. You know, I think, you know, I'm not going to name the guy who said this, but um, he is down at Texas. And I asked him, you know, about the culture, because I think Sark has changed quite a bit. And we've got a podcast up with Yogi Roth and he talks about Sark and the pro and the, you know, his the culture he's setting down there. Because when he was at Washington, he just seemed more on the end results. And now he's more about uh, creating the culture and the processes that lead to the results. And that's how Sark has changed. But the guy from Texas told me that Texas is just more corporate. It's just more corporate down there. He says, you get anything you want. And if you don't get what you want, you just ask a second, third time and you usually wind up with it. But that's what was interesting. And, you know, there is a little bit of an aura. We're Texas, you know, it's just like, you know, you know, we're the biggest guy in the room. We're the bully in the room and they act like it, you know, and I don't think that's a bad thing. But, um, you know, that's what Sark has instilled down there. I noticed you talked to or asked a couple of the players that kind of that kind of question about belonging versus not belonging or Washington coming in as an outsider and what yeah. have you. And, and that, that didn't get a lot of purchase with most of the players. Most of the players are like, yeah, we'll, we'll just, we'll hash all that out on Monday. Well, yeah, you know, it's just, a, I think a lot of the national people, you know, are just focused on the blue bloods, you know, that are, uh, you know, consistently in the top 10 and, you know, Washington's just kind of, you know, in the eyes of some, okay, well, what are they doing here? You know, Kalen DeBoer is an interesting story, and they kind of, you know, glob onto that. But, um, yeah, I, you know, it's just I don't think that the national guys have that much interest really in uh, in what's going on at Washington. And they're more familiar with Texas. You know, Texas gets more PR and Washington's just kind of sliding, sliding under the radar. And, you know, I think that they're of the opinion some of these guys are that Washington's just happy to be here, you know, uh, so there's that. So, Scott, I, I, but I'm curious because I think we talked a little bit about this yesterday. I think we can delve into it a little bit more today because there's more information coming out all the time. And Kim certainly has gotten this impression based on, you know, the vibe and everything else that's down there in New Orleans at the time. And you got we got to take his word for it because he's down there. He's seeing it. He's on the street. He's he's kind of getting a sense for everything. But for me, everything I've read and everything I've seen and listened to and everything else it's just this weird, unique thing where it's like Washington's getting a ton of credit for getting where they've gotten. Yet there still seems to be this inkling of like, yeah, they're still going to trip up, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Every time, every time we've, we've, we've thought they were going to trip up, they haven't tripped up, but yeah, they're still going to trip up. Is it, is that kind of weird? Is that, is that, is that something that you've gotten a sense that you've gotten? 
Yeah, yeah, a lot of it. You know, I, I think they, they're they're like, man, these guys have been so impressive, but we're still picking Texas. Yeah, because it's not, it's, I, yeah. but it's not, but it's not like they're just flat out dissing Washington. It's not like they're just flat out no. saying they shouldn't be in the Sugar Bowl. They shouldn't be in the playoff. They shouldn't be playing Texas. They they give Washington all the credit in the world for being where they need to be, being where they should be. But yet at the same time, there's still just this little sliver of like, yeah, but we're not convinced. It's yeah. Still, the, the the slippers not the slippers not gonna fit you know it's the Cinderella's mm-hmm. had their had her time I I just uh, love it that the Cinderella team is ranked number two in the country yeah but you it know? is it, it is that's why I'm such saying it's such, a, thing. it's such a unique yeah. situation where it's like you're you're ranked higher you've done more you're undefeated you have the longest winning streak in the country at 20 games and yet there is very few people outside of the Northwest that are 100% sold on Washington. I'll tell you what it's like, guys. Have you ever been talking with somebody and they're looking past you and they're just kind of looking out the corner of their eyes and then they see somebody else and they go, got to go and they walk over to the other guy? That's Washington. Washington is the guy they're talking to. And when Texas walks in the room, I got to go. That's what it's like. Yeah, it's but it is. It's so weird because I, I understand how the coaches will try to manufacture this as disrespect and use it to build an even bigger chip on the shoulder of the players. And that's just all part of the culture and part of the, the, the thought process and the mentality and everything they've got to do to get these guys ready to be their best selves on Monday night. But from a fan's perspective, or at least from the media perspective that I've seen as a guy who's covered this team for a long time and, and obviously all this year, I just don't see it as disrespect, but I can understand the frustration. That's what I see. And Scott, you've heard, you've heard the guys say it. It's about us. And yep. that's the mentality. It's about well, I've, I've heard a lot of teams say that this year. It's like the new buzzword for, for football teams is the uh, it's it's uh, it's us. You know, Washington came up with the us versus us. But everybody else has kind of that same motto, that same, you know, uh, thing that they're doing this year. And I, but I, I fully agree with Washington. It's like it's not about what the other team is trying to do to us. It's a ma- it's a matter of what we're going to do to them. And and it's about us focusing on us getting ready and us being prepared for all the stuff they're going to throw at us and and doing what we need to do to be successful. And it's not about looking around if you ever it, it's kind of like. You know, I, I have a I have a six year old, almost seven year old, and, and he likes to run races against other people. And he's always looking around, looking at other people instead of running straight. He's a fast little kid. But when he looks at other people, he has to slow down. You just that's naturally what happens to you. But if you've got that thing right in front of you and I tell him focus right on this point right here and he runs the same thing, he runs he runs away from people. And that and that's what people that's what Washington is essentially doing is they're saying we're not worried about all this other stuff going on. We see our end point down the road here and we're focused on that and we're focused on us being the best version of us. Yeah. And I just before we we move on to Washington's part in, in the in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, media day today anything you else you want to talk about as far as texas is concerned and what you kind of learned from them uh today kim well just you know i had a chance to talk to uh pk i haven't seen what you guys did with that did you do that did you put the audio up with PK? i posted it yep 
Yeah. And he's talking about, you know, I told I got him to get me a give me a Scott Huff story. So uh, he gave us one about how Scott couldn't get the tow rope out because they like to water uh, ski behind their boats. And Scott couldn't figure out how to do it. And, you know, and then I talked to Scott Huff and relayed the story to him. And when you guys listen to the podcast, you'll see. Uh, I heard it. Yeah, heard you'll, it. you'll hear Coach Huff's response, which was pretty funny. So well, uh, let's put it this way. As friends would know about other friends. Only a friend like Scott Huff would talk to another friend like Pete Kwiatkowski the way that he did. Oh, yeah. He called he flat out called him an idiot. <laughs> oh, he did. <laughs> but the way he did it, it's like, OK, these guys are clearly close. Yeah. Um, also, just, um, you know, I, I can't stress enough. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian is not Steve Sarkeesian that, you know, we had up at Washington. Steve has always been a real, real bright guy, but he seems to really understood this process down here. And um, he's just more relaxed. And, uh, you know, Yogi told me, you know, Lasark's almost 50 years old now. And I go, what? You know, so, um, yeah, so Steve's almost 50. And, you know, he's matured. He's grown up. And that's what you would expect. And he's been through his demons. But I, I just can't stress enough. He's a changed guy. This is not the Steve Sarkeesian, and he's an impressive guy. And, you know, everybody thinks that he may be the best play caller in the country. Him and Ryan Grubb are just, you know, one and two and flip either one of them the way you want. But, um, again, I, I'm just incredibly impressed with uh, Steve Sarkeesian. Well, the the one thing that uh, – how many years was he at Alabama? Was it just one or was it two? Well, no, he was there, and then he went to – he was there as a consultant, and then he went to the Falcons – and, and then, then he came back, right? Yeah, and that's what, you know, one of the guys was telling me how impressive that is. What, you know, that shows what Nick Saban thinks of him. He was there, and he mm-hmm. hired him back, Yeah, you know? Well, well I mean, my, my thing is, you know, he he's learned under two legendary coaches. He's, yeah. won, he, he's, he's coached under the only coach that has ever won a national championship and a Super Bowl, okay? And he's won... Uh, and he's coached under for a couple of years, a coach who uh, has, is arguably I don't even know if it's arguably anymore, the greatest uh, college football coach of all time. And, you know, you're, you're ta- he's learned different ways to do things. Pete Carroll has a completely different way of doing things than Nick Saban. But Nick Saban really seems to have had a huge impact on Steve Sarkeesian because Steve Sarkeesian has embraced the process. Well, and not, and that's not, something that Nick Nick Saban uh, preaches. Not only uh, Saban and um, and Pete Carroll, Carroll yeah. but in college his offensive coordinator was uh, Norm Chow, and his head coach was Lavelle Edwards. So you know, and Lavelle was one of the best coaches in college football, and Norm Chow largely regarded as one of the best of all time as an offensive coordinator. So he's learned a lot. And, you know, it looks like he's been able to finally take all those pieces and mold them together and make something of himself with all the pieces of those parts. Yep. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on 
It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search The Rest is Football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meets. All right, guys, let's move over to the Washington side of things. And, Kim, you talked to a lot of guys. Yeah. I think you ended up talking to about 10 players and coaches. Let's start with the coaches first because um, you obviously did get a chance to, to talk to Scott Huff and and uh, talk to him about your interactions with Coach K and, and whatnot. That that obviously was pretty fun, and, and hopefully people will get a chance to listen to those uh, that conversation because it was pretty good. But in talking to both Scott Huff and Jamarcus Shepard, man, I you just listen to them, boy, they you get the sense that if if the game literally would start in a half hour, they'd be ready. Oh, I, I mean, they are, they are laser focused right now. I I told Coach Morell, Coach Huff, Coach uh, Shepard, I says I'm going to start a petition to start the game at kickoff at six o'clock tonight, and they're going, let's go. I mean, they're ready to go. I mean, they are absolutely ready oh, to go. Oh, it's been a month. I mean, oh, come yeah. on. Yeah, they're ready to go. So it's going to be interesting, you know, with that month off. Are they going to be a little rusty? Are they going to be ready to go? I think they're going to be rested. You know, their bodies are going to feel a lot better. But, you know, Coach Shepard is Coach Shepard. And, you know, he's absolutely giddy to have Jalen McMillan back. I talk, When I talked to Jalen, you know, I said, you know, those – you know, four games were four or five games where you were hurt. You were Jalen McMillan, but Oregon J-Mac was back. And he said, yeah, because I've, t- I've said it numerous times, you know, down at that Stanford game, uh, Jalen McMillan, you know, he's trying to make a go of it. But, you know, he stood around for about 15, 20 minutes over on the bench fiddling with a knee brace. You could tell he wasn't comfortable. But, boy, he was back against Oregon. And Coach Shepard is thrilled to have him back. And then in addition, talking to Coach Huff. You know, a lot has been made of, uh, you know, the 90 pound difference between Parker Brailsford and uh, Levante Sweat. And uh, how are you going to do that? And, you know, Brailsford talked about that a little bit. But my gut says that they're going to do a lot of pulling and just really, really tire those guys out. But uh, Scott Huff is ready to go. Yeah, I've got a little pet theory about this. And and I don't know. Bear with me just a second. But. You know, yes, I agree with what Scott said in terms of it being a month and it's been a long time and everything else. I just get the sense these guys are so geeked up. And, and if you could start the game at six tonight, they'd do it in a heartbeat because by then their coaching is pretty much done. Seventy five percent of what they what they have to do is already done. So game day kind of as far as the coaches go, it kind of takes care of itself because they've already prepared all the, the contingencies Ryan Grubbs already scripted out his first 10, 15, 20 plays, whatever it is. He's got his sheet for whatever down and distance situations. The guys will work. If there's an injury, they'll obviously fix that. But by and large, I think it's not out of anticipation or even nervousness. I think they're just super excited to see what these guys are going to do because I think just like everyone else, to a certain extent, I think sometimes these coaches are also fans, and they're, they're like, hey, I want to see what Mike does today. I want to see what Dylan Johnson does today. I want to see what Roma Dunze does today. That's well, just kind of how I look at it. Well, we are down in New Orleans. Let's just say the hay is in the barn, and they're prepared. But, you know, once you get outside of the hotel, letting these young kids outside the hotel, I'm guessing you're just kind of holding on for dear life because, you know, I'm seeing guys down on Bourbon Street from both teams. So, you know, oh, yeah. I yeah. No, like, you know, but again, it's that it's that classic thing, right? You'd rather be you'd rather rein them in than try to push them out, you know, than try to then try to get something out of them. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot easier to pull them back in. 
than to, than to try to, you know, push them to do something. You know, these, a, guys, these guys are clearly motivated right now. You know, Chris and Scott, I've had a lot of people ask me, you know, how Michael Penix was to deal with before they had a chance to deal with him. I said, you know, it, dealing with the media is not his favorite thing. He can be a little surly at times, a little irritable at times and just a little short at times because he doesn't really enjoy doing it. Um, Michael's been a different Michael down here. He's just been uh, absolutely gold with all of the guys down there. He's happy. He's smiling. He's got that intensity going. You know, I put the video up on Twitter of Eddie Ulifosio uh, kind of harassing him a little bit. But, uh, you know, Michael's uh, Michael being Michael. So, yeah, I have, the, 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 I have a theory about that, too, real quick. I, I think he sees the light at the end of the tunnel now. I think I think when these guys go through they, the start of the season, they're geeked up, they're ready to go. You start to get in the dog days, like in the middle of October, early November, and these wins keep piling on and the pressure keeps mounting to keep the winning streak going. I'm not saying it's it's all gravy now, guys, but I think when there's only a maximum of like two games left, I think there's a certain amount of that burden that, that is is released. Yeah, and maybe maybe it's a different type of pressure that they're feeling now or a different type of nervousness or ex- excitement. But I think that's part of the reason why some of these guys are just embracing it, because I think they, the coaches are telling them to, to smell the flowers and to really enjoy this, because this may only happen once in your lifetime. Yep. Scott, you were going to say something? Yeah. Oh, well, I, I was just going to say I the thing about Michael Penix is. He just he doesn't have any patience for a question that he thinks is kind of a silly question. <laughs> That's his biggest thing. And, you yeah. know, tw- yeah, we've never I, done that. No, no, ever. Um, but the the thing is, I mean, he he'll answer, you know, a question that he thinks is a good question. He'll give you he'll give you a good answer. But most of the time, you know, a lot of these are just so, Mike, what do you think of practice? So, Mike, uh, you know, what? why did you guys start off so slow? He's like, come on, guys. Really? <laughs> that <laughs> yeah. That's his thing. He lacks the patience. But after a while, I mean, I, I totally get it. I can totally see where, where someone like him, especially, you know, he's the most, over the last two years, he's been the player most in demand to hear from, from the, from the, the the media but also husky nation they all want to hear from him the national media wants to hear from him. the local media all that wants to hear from him and after a while you're just like seriously dude i just want to go play football so who, do, not, you think, yeah. who, who do you think the uh the normal guys for washington press all went to first zach durfee zach durfee, <laughs> zach durfee. Yeah. which is i chuck like that you asked him the chuck norris questions those are awesome the look on his face, he he doesn't understand all of this stuff, um, you know, so it was pretty funny, you know, and you know, the, the son apologized when you got the sunburn and, you know, just went down the list. And he yeah, was kind of yeah. he was just kind of he's not real comfortable yet with the interview. He's process. from Sioux Falls. <laughs> well, yeah, he's never been experienced to any yeah. of this. So, um, well, he's not from Sioux Falls. He's from Minnesota, he's, right? He's from, yeah, he's from yeah. rural Minnesota. But still, I mean, yeah. they're basically the same thing. I that mean, that might also be that also. I think that might be worse. Yeah, not, not not worse in a bad way, but worse in the sense of you're further removed from media. At least in Sioux Falls, Sioux Falls is a decent sized city. Yeah, but and you know, and I'm not sure how many media actually deal with that team, but compared to where he came from in rural rural Minnesota, 
Yeah, even that would be a bit of a sea change for him. Yeah, sounds like sounds like the most of the people are anticipating. You know, just a lot of people you know, what I'm talking to, but sounds like he's probably going to get somewhere between ten and fifteen snaps would be what would be anticipated uh, from Zach Durfee. So, um, you no, know, we're, but we're talking about ten, fifteen snaps total. That includes special teams. Yeah. I would think the lion's share of his game is going to be on special teams. Yeah, also had a chance to talk to Austin Mack uh, a little bit, and man, he is so big, but he's not, and like I keep on saying, you know, most six, seven quarterbacks, you figure statues, you can't move, but boy, he's like a, he's like a basketball player at six, seven, and you know, like a small forward, he's six, seven, 220, so he's got some good size, and you know, I asked him about, you know, the thought process when they brought in a uh, quarterback who everybody anticipates to start has one year worth of eligibility and he says he understands how young he is and he talks about being able to learn from guys like Dylan Morris and Michael Penix and how much it's helped him and you know he expects the same from Will Rogers so when his turn comes that he's ready so he didn't seem uh, impacted uh, by that stuff at all well it seemed like he there were some things that he wanted to say and then he kind of held back a little bit yeah. So I think I think he's I think if anything, the way I kind of listened to him and kind of read the how the how the the answers were going, that he's in a bit of a wait and see mode. Not not in the sense that if things go well for Will Rogers, that means he's going to enter the portal. It just means I don't think he really knows what like next spring is going to be like, for instance, because I don't even think he's thinking that far ahead. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, also had a chance to um, talk to Dylan Morris a little bit, and it's the first chance we've had to, to talk to Dylan. And, um, and he says the only um, trip he's taken has been to Marshall. Um, he explained a little bit about the situation and, you know, how he explained to the coaches. I asked him, I said, is that door still open? Is there a chance you could return? He goes, well, I'm not, I'm going to shut, I'm not going to shut the door, but at this point in time, it seems highly unlikely. And when we asked him about future, you know, trips and other offers, he, he just wasn't going to go there. So, um, well, part, you, part of the reason Kim is because he's, 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 in, he's anticipating that they're going to be playing in Houston in a week. Yeah. If you're a betting man, bet on him going to Marshall. So. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, well, we'll see. Yeah, and he's got a big thing going on this this summer. He's getting married. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. yeah. Also, um, um, ask for Tybo Rogers, and uh, we were told he wasn't available. Um, and then they walked off, and so I finally found somebody later, and I said, "Is he not here, or is he not available?" And they said, "He's not available. He is here." So there was just some stuff going on um, and I, I don't want to dive deep into it, but there was some off the field stuff that turned out to uh, some accusations thrown that turned out to not be true. Um, and <coughs> excuse me, sorry. What I'd heard was that um, he wasn't suspended. It was just it, with dealing with the nonsense for a week, his head wasn't in a space to be there to play uh, at that time and everything was fine. So, you know, like I said, I don't want to get real in depth into it, but, um, I'm guessing they just kind of wanted to protect him a little bit from the other stuff because there may be some ramifications, uh, out there, um, from other people. So we'll just leave that alone. So, well, yeah, right. when you're dealing with outside forces, it's just best to not even go there. So, yeah. Also, um, it was funny because I want to I want to talk to Curly Reed because he says he's about three hours away from there and um, we couldn't find him. And um, so somebody um, 
uh, Haley, one of the SIDs, says, anybody seen uh, um, seen Curly? And all of a sudden, all the guys who weren't playing just yelled, Curly! <laughs> just yelled for him. He's going, what, what? So he came up. Uh, hey, I'm a little surprised. He's a big kid. I didn't yeah. know he was that big. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good athlete. Really good athlete. Yeah. No. I mean, this, there's a Kim. There's a reason LSU was all over him until he got hurt. Yeah. No, he's a big kid, and I wasn't aware. And Scott, you dealt with him. You probably were. I wasn't aware that um, there was a real deep connection between um, Juice Brown, the defensive backs coach, and Curley's high school coach. Yeah, I I honestly didn't know how deep it was, but I do know that they had a relationship before. Yeah. And that was a big selling point for him. Yeah, that was the um, that was the beginning, you know, uh, and that's the connection because they're going to go to Louisiana for a kid. There's got to be some kind of a connection. But uh, that's the connection. And like I said, you know, standing next to him, it's one thing to see him, you know, 30, 40 yards away. But boy, standing next to him, he's got some size to him. Absolutely. He's going to be a he's going to be a guy who's eventually going to play. My guess is 195, 200. He's what, 6'2", something like that. Long arms. I mean, he's that big corner that that a lot of schools are going to nowadays. And one guy that I thought he could re- remind us of down the road is Keith um, Taylor. Yeah. And except maybe he can actually get an interception during yeah. the uh, <laughs> during his career at Washington. But, you know, Keith Taylor was a heck of a, a player at Washington, just didn't have an interception. But, you know, if he if, if Washington gets that kind of a career out of Curly Curly Reed, I think everybody's really happy. Yeah, like I said, uh, impressive kid. He was just kind of, I think he was kind of shocked that, you know, we were asking for him. So, yeah. you like, know, uh, what? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You need to come up here and talk to these people. And he's just kind of going, OK, so. Yeah, he wasn't much for talking during the recruiting process. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Nate Kalepo was uh, a jewel today. Um, you know, uh, Scott, you knew his mom and, you know, he said that, um, you know, he was, you know, just kind of sad that his mom wasn't there to watch. And I said, she is. She is. Yeah. I mean, his wife, his mom was something special, Scott. Yeah, she absolutely was. She was great lady, um, dealt with cancer for a while and uh, succumbed to it during the uh, during the pandemic. And, and and he was so lucky to have Washington there to just embrace him and hold him and and all the different stuff. I've, I've talked to him since then off the record, obviously, so I'm not going to share everything, but um, he's in a good headspace. I mean, he misses his mom. <laughs> my mom's been dead for almost 19 years now, and I still miss my mom. And I'm 52. Can you imagine being an early 20s yeah. guy and having your mom be gone and, and everything like that? So <clears throat> she was just a really great lady, had a gr- lot of great stories for us. I don't know if you guys remember some of those stories that she had from the recruiting trail. Um, yeah, she wasn't that impressed with Mario Cristobal. Let's just put it that way. But um, oh, go ahead. Did either of you have a chance to listen to the audio with Nate? I, I haven't yet. Um, Josh transcribed it, so I was going to look at that before I put it up. Um, he said he was, you know, kind of jonesing for his McDonald's fix, and I asked him, what's your typical order? He went down what he typically orders, and I'm just going, are you kidding me? I said, what's your bill typically run at McDonald's? He goes, yeah, 30 bucks. I'm going – you spend 30 bucks at McDonald's on yourself. He goes, yeah. I so what's the most you've ever spent at McDonald's just for food for yourself. He said he spent $65 one time at McDonald's. Probably got one of those burger boxes with like two big Macs and 20, 20 nuggets and stuff like that. 
I don't even know what a burger box is, Scott. <laughs> well, they, they, they advertise it for football season um, where you get like two Big Macs and a bunch of other stuff. And they're pretty pricey. I, I've never bought one, but I've seen the price of them. Yeah, make sure you itemize that list of what uh, he typically orders. It's yeah. pretty- I, I will not mince words. I'm a big man. I've been through McDonald's drive-thru before. I've spent $30 in a McDonald's drive-thru before. I have absolutely no earthly idea what how you get to sixty five dollars. How do you spend thirty bucks at McDonald's? Oh, Ken, the prices are a, a couple, lot. No, seriously, lot a couple, a couple you, combo you meals, and you're there, basically. Jeez. Basically there. When I when I take when I take my boys, and I'll get just like a a burger and a and a drink, and with the boys and my stuff, it's right around thirty bucks. I was gonna say a large, a large, just a, a large order of fries, Kim. Right now is it's like over five dollars. No, it's over five dollars. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm just yeah. telling you. I mean, and by the way, I have not had a beignet yet. Haven't had one. You need to go have one, Kim. Did you? It. Didn't you have a beignet when we were back there in 2011? I'm almost 100 positive you did. Didn't you go to Cafe du Monde? I don't remember. Oh, okay. Well, you way. need to get one, Kim. From everything I've heard, best oh, yeah. thing there. No, yeah. no, you got to do it. Got to do it. Although no. it doesn't sound, it doesn't sound like you're getting the hurricane at uh, at Pat O'Brien's. So uh, Scott, Softy handed me one last night. I just going, I don't need this after he handed me a shot of Jameson and after I had a couple beers. A shot of Jameson? Yeah, yeah, a couple shots of Jameson, a couple <laughs> glasses of wine. So, hey, just shout out by the way, uh, GW Finn's great place down here, just off of Mills, um, just off of uh, Bourbon Street. Uh, they took care of us last night. They slipped the gal some extra money. And she hopped, put us to the front of the line because Greg Lewis was with us, and his back is just giving him fits, and he was having trouble standing up. So she got us in. So we kind of slipped her a little bit of money to get us some food. There's fantastic. I had uh, a halibut with scallops, and it was great. Uh, the, the, the Mill Avenue apparently is not far from your mind, Kim. No, 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 no. So, <laughs> well, anyway, I caught you, that. I don't know if you, you caught that, Scott. Stuff, but I caught yeah, it. I did. I, the the stuff you see on Bourbon Street, I, I think uh, Mill yeah. Avenue probably has has some stuff on that too. I'm sure there's some comparisons that can be made. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, just you know, that was media for today. We got in for about 15 minutes of practice. I took some uh, video of a. Um, Offensive line drill. Scott Huff came running over and he's laughing. He goes, Kim, please don't put that up on Twitter. <laughs> I said, okay, done. So uh, did that. But we got to see those guys a little bit. And then uh, that was it for the media. And that was at the Superdome. And then tomorrow morning we have, I think it's 15, 20 minutes with both coaches on uh, the riser. So that's the only media things for tomorrow. And both head coaches. Yeah, both head coaches uh, at the same time. And uh, tonight there's a media party over on Bourbon Street. Not sure what to expect on that. And then um, uh, one of the coaches also told me that um, we're on one of the main uh, drags. We're on Canal Street with the hotel. Uh, We're at the Sheraton. And the Marriott is across the street. Now, Texas is staying at the Marriott across the street. And um, Washington's... um, like four or five blocks away, but they're not on the main drag. And one of the coaches just kind of laughed and said, because uh, tomorrow night, New Year's Eve, the uh, they're going to have a big parade going down Canal Avenue. And he said, Canal Avenue will be insane till about four o'clock in the morning. He said, some of those guys just aren't going to be able to sleep. He said, they're glad they're off of kind of the main drag uh, because of that. Yeah, no, it makes sense. I think that's, 
that's part of the planning and part of the scheduling you do. And I think that's something, honestly, that Kalen DeBoer takes a lot of pride in, in terms of being part of their preparation and organization that helps kind of set them apart from the rest of the programs out there. Yeah. So, um, you know, just, just a little interesting fun fact. And then uh, Saturday, um, excuse me, on Monday, the uh, gates open for media at two o'clock central time. So noon your time. So we'll be uh, I'll head, head over there and try to be inside by about two o'clock. OK, guys, I'm going to wrap it up there. Um, and just to let people know, you referred to a podcast that you had done earlier uh, today with Yogi Roth. Yeah, the good stuff. networks. And so I will make sure that that is available to all um, everyone first thing Sunday morning. And then we will obviously have um, our pregame show podcast that we'll be doing that will be for Monday because obviously hey, the game is Monday night. So, hey, Scott, real quick, um, we were kind of in the waiting room waiting to go back out of the field for practice and they were live from the Rose Bowl. I don't know if you either of you saw oh, it's pouring but- rain pouring rain and they had a tarp over the field i mean it was nasty it was nasty down there and weather here is still about 60 degrees sunshiny you know so it's nice so yeah, yeah but you don't it didn't really matter if it was rainy or not yeah yes. right yeah. <laughs> Super yeah, no- i noticed i noticed the sugar bowl twitter account had some weather forecast i'm thinking who cares mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not going to affect the it's not going to affect the football game so you're all good yeah, unless Unless another hurricane comes cruising through, you know, yeah. knock on wood. Two things real quick. Uh, Superdome is a lot bigger inside than I anticipated it being. Um, it's pretty big. And a lot of people said after Katrina where it pretty much got demolished that they've really updated it. And it doesn't feel old because it is an older stadium, but uh, it doesn't feel old. It still feels kind of new. But the other thing that's in we're a couple things were the lighting there. They have what's called the theater lighting. Remember Madison Square Garden when the only lights were on the field and the stands were kind of blacked out? Um that's what the lighting is like here in um, in the Superdome, where there's not a lot of lighting in the stands. It's on the field, but it's pretty intense. And when I was looking up, all I could think is, boy, it'd be easy to get a ball lost in the lights. So keep an eye on that maybe Sunday to see if a ball gets kind of lost in the lights on a punt, a kickoff or a pass. Huh. So it's like okay. the sun in your eyes. I don't, I don't remember really seeing that in the in, in any New Orleans games that I've seen, but. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't know if they changed the lighting and make it a little bit different, but I'm telling you right now, there was some pretty intense lighting. I'd look up and it was just kind of, you know, like, whoa. So we'll see if that has an impact. Is there something to the idea that when the when the when the full house is in there, that maybe it helps absorb some of the lighting and maybe it looks light when there's nobody there or a lot lighter, and a lot brighter and a lot brasher? There was, maybe- some, there was some areas where it was pretty bright. I mean, looking up, I mean, you're, you're seeing you're seeing the lights. So, yeah. Okay. All right. Any final thoughts, guys? No, man, I, I can't believe that we're almost here. I mean, it's it's just, you know, what, 48 hours, a little over 48 hours. And, yeah, this is, uh, this is kind of our last kind of daily Sugar Bowl podcast to kind of let people know, setting the scene for what's going on. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's the countdown's pretty much started right now. Yeah. So it's it's going to be fun. Um, It's it's hard to believe that Washington in their in the history that, of playing this game. I don't, you know what? I haven't looked at the history of the Sugar Bowl. How many years has the Sugar Bowl been played? Oh shoot, it's got to be question. over sixty years, right? Somewhere around there. Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's no, well, I would think a lot okay. longer than that. But, but and the fact that this is Washington's first trip there, um, 
You know, I, I just what happened the last time Washington played at one of one of the major bowls for their first time. Yeah, it's it started Super back Schooner. in I think nineteen thirty five. Yeah, okay. Like. So I mean we're talking eighty two eighty two years, you know, or eighty I'm sorry, eighty eight years. So, you know, I mean it's it's crazy to think that Washington's never played in the Sugar Bowl, but you know, they they tried to keep those regional back in the old days. So well, no pack um, no pack twelve team has ever played in the Sugar Bowl. Yeah, yeah. Because of because of the bowl because of the historical bowl ties. Yeah. So crazy. Yeah. Just one more thing. Shout out to the Sugar Bowl staff down here. They've been doing it a long time. Uh, There's a well-oiled machine down here. I mean, it's just been seamless. And, you know, it's uh, it's not what I expected. It's better than I expected, you know, because we've been to quite a few of these. This is far and away the best run bowl game ever. And these guys are on top of it and they're professional and they got everything dialed in down here. Yeah. And just to just just to clarify things, just to make sure people understand, no Pac-12 team like West Coast, what have you. Utah did play in the 2009 Sugar Bowl when they beat Alabama. But I they weren't what, Pac-12. But yeah. they weren't, yeah, they were Mountain West back then. So either way, either way, you know, I know you can quibble and what have you, but that's that's the record. So, all right, guys. So we'll wrap it up with that. And for Kim Reynolds down in New Orleans at the Sugar Bowl and Scott Eklund in Seattle, this is Chris Fetters from Dogman.com. Go dogs. <laughs>of sports mixed with your pop culture along with humor and celebrity interviews your earbuds are enjoying the rich eisen show dan orlovsky are you still a Jaden daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy i think the three things that make it stand out for me are number one i think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft every quarterback in the nfl is accurate he's got the best on tape number two most transferable stuff to the nfl and then i think the third thing is pocket peace search for the rich eisen show on youtube or wherever you listen